0: listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: Compliance is hard, but Finding the answers doesn't need to be. Join Jeff Hedges and his staff on the Pharmacy Compliance Guide as they help you and your pharmacy staff navigate through some of the complexities to help you stay stress-free and in compliance. The Pharmacy Compliance Guide is a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast is exciting today because returning to the Pharmacy Podcast Network is Jeff Hedges from RJ Hedges & Associates, the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. We have been excited to have Jeff and his team part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network since December
0: 2016. How have you been doing, Jeff? I've been doing great, uh, especially now that I have been come out of the research lab from working on USP 800 and 795. So it's wonderful to be out of the ground hole. <laughs> I
1: understand. And there's, much cha- there's many changes. There's much happening in the pharmacy marketplace. Changes to PBM reform. Um, we've known of massive layoffs lately. There's a lot of buzz. Some of it uh, is considered to be negative, but I think in, in all, it's going to be very positive it is crunch time for, um, for much of the pharmacy industry. And that is no different than what our subject is today, which is USP 800. I don't know much about this. This is why you are the pharmacy compliance guide. Could you take our listeners just through kind of an introduction of this? And then I have some questions for you.
0: Okay. Well, USP 800, uh, It was delayed once, and it is coming into effect here uh, in December. Uh, It was designed to address the proper handling of hazardous drugs in the pharmacy setting. Uh, Its guidelines are plainly aimed to promoting patient and worker safety in and around the non-sterile and sterile compounding. The first section of USP 800 clearly covers compounding in its purest form and there's a lot of confusion there because when we move into section two you quickly realize that dispensing of pills capsules liquids and manufactured packaging items are also covered by usp-800 Different types of terms are being used to describe types of hazardous drugs, such as anti-neoplastics, non-neoplastics, reproduction risk only, dosage forms, risk of exposures, packaging, manipulations, and this may sound like a whole lot of mumbo jumbo but this is the new language of hazardous drugs.
1: It, it does in some ways. It, it's confusing, I'm sure, for many of the pharmacy uh, practice uh, operations, uh, organizations that do compounding on the side, not necessarily as a primary part of their business. So what does a pharmacy need to do first with hazardous drugs?
0: Well, the first thing they must do is identify what hazardous drugs they have in the pharmacy. Uh, and this starts by getting the NIOSH list of anti-neoplastics and other hazardous drugs in a healthcare setting. And that's a mouthful of words right there. And this list came out on, on 2016, and that is your reference guide. And it's also going to be scheduled for a new release in December of 2019. This list contains 42 pages of information, and it's a complete list of all hazardous drugs, which are divided into three sets of tables or groups. Table one or group one is all the anti-neoplastic drugs. Group two or Table 2, is the non-anti-neoplastic drugs. And finally, Table 3, or Group 3, is the non-anti-neoplastic drugs that primarily have adverse reproductive effects. So using the NIOSH list, pharmacists can't properly identify all hazardous drugs in the pharmacy. And unfortunately, I was asked today, No, there is not an NDC list that lists all the hazardous drugs at this point in time.
1: That in itself could probably generate additional confusion. So what should the pharmacist do uh, once those hazardous drugs are identified?
0: So the best solution that we found, uh, and this is from an operational point of view, is to start with a hazardous drug inventory sheet. The inventory sheet should have the following information, the drug name, the form of the drug, and when I talk about the form, it should be in a tablet, a capsule, or a liquid, so how it's coming in. Does the hazardous drug need to be reconstituted? If the hazardous drug is contained in a manufactured packaging, similar to birth control pills, the NIOSH table number of where the hazardous drug is listed. Once the inventory of the hazardous drugs is completed, it's best in an operational point of view for retail pharmacies to segregate them. Place it on a shelf away from the regular uh, stock, and normally this will come in uh, as you build this. They'll come into, uh, you'll want to market with a hazardous drug storage site. We have also designed here and within RJ Hedges a small hazardous drug label that can be placed on the hazardous drug bottle when the drugs come in, and uh, or you can put it onto the shelf.
1: So there's different things that a pharmacy operator, or pharmacy owner needs to think about. But when I'm when I'm quickly thinking of this and. I have never operated a pharmacy, been in hundreds, but I'm thinking, so what if the hazardous drug is not what you just described?
0: Well, uh, there's several things we do in a retail pharmacy today that we're not going to be able to do. For example, uh, under the new standards in the USB 800, uh, hazardous drug that's required to be split or crushed, uh, we can't do as of December 1st. Uh, If you're going to mix uh, components together, uh, you cannot do. Uh, These are all, uh, if you're going to do more than reconstituting, or you're going to take raw components of compounds and mix them together, all of these are going to require uh, the items to be prepared inside a uh, negative pressure lab, which is now going to be called a Containment uh, Secondary Engineering Control, or a CSECT. And these negative pressure areas will have to have a 12 air changes per minute, or the term that they use is ACPM, within the lab. And then inside the lab, you have the uh, new name for a hood, uh, which is a Containment Primary Engineering or CPAC. And these have to be vented to the outside uh, air or to have a double HIPAA filter system. And yes, they did go over to overboard with the new acronyms and the new names with this rule. Okay, Jeff, back up for just a
1: second. You mentioned segregating hazardous drugs from the rest of your inventory. And that sounds easier to say than
0: probably doing, but why do we have to do that? Uh, in a retail long-term sec, uh, long-term care pharmacy, it's not technically mandatory that, that you do this. but a pharmacy must uh, use separate counting tools for hazardous drugs. If the hazardous drugs are segregated, the hazardous drug tools, which are your uh, spatulas and your uh, counting trays, can be stored with them. So when, it has, uh, when the technician pulls your hazardous drug off the off the shelf, they grab the tools with them, move it over to the counter with the prescription, and they open the bottle. They count out the uh, the prescription. They close the bottle up after the fill's completed. They send it down the the fill line for a final check. They're able to clean the counting tools, um, and normally the best way to do that is with cavicides wipes or Clorox wipes, and then they can put that back on the shelf, or they can set it off to the side for cleaning later. And if you have your hazardous drugs scattered throughout your inventory right now, like you do right now, how are you going to remember what is a hazardous drug, what's not, when to grab the right tools, where it's at. And it's just going to be very confusing uh, if you don't have them segregated. And from theory, it's okay, but in reality, in an operation, it's just going to screw up your workflow if you don't segregate.
1: Well, that makes sense. What about special handling requirements for hazardous drugs? Oh, Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Okay, during the inventory, one of the items uh, you do is review the safety data sheets and it has the personal protective equipment section there. And whether you're in, uh, no matter what your setting is, you're going to need to look at your safety data sheets and it will identify your t- the type of protective equipment, uh, personal protective equipment that's needed. In most cases, the retail and long-term care pharmacies may only need to have uh, latex co- uh, gloves for counting pills or capsules or pouring or reconstituting a liquid, uh, constituting as a liquid. Now, this is drastically different when we're, f- uh, we're filling a hazardous drug in a negative pressure room, and the personal protective equipment goes all the way up to a personally fitted respirator. So and that's a whole different standard there. But we're talking today mainly about retail. Also, when we're looking at a retail site, uh, we're looking at our pill counters and our robots. We cannot use hazardous drugs in these units unless there is documented proof that they do not, and the term is, uh, do not stress the medication and create a powder residue when processed through the mechanism. Now, that's a pretty technical term. Yeah, sounds like. And, okay. And so, and I've been looking at a lot of uh, units. I'm being uh, hired by a number of the different um, manufacturers out there. And right now, when we look at the two uh, pill counters out there, the Icon Pill scanner has no mechanical mechanism. Uh, it can be used because of just the way it, the nature of the piece of equipment is. It is a scanner and there's no mechanism on it. And you just take the tray after use and you clean it. Now, Kirby Lister, I have looked at their machines and they are real close to having a compliant unit. And I expect that within the next month, they will have a compliant unit. On the robot side, uh, there appears to be only one uh, unit, maybe two, that meet the, uh, the non-stress requirement. Uh, and again, the one that I've actually looked at that really looks at it, and we're going through a technical review right now, is Synergy Medical's SynMed and SynMed Ultra Units. Uh, Really good machines, the way they operate. Again, Prada and RX Safe, they both are working really hard to get something that's uh, compliant. And my money is that they're both going to come up with something. And so just stay tuned and see what they come up with. And I would imagine all the other uh, uh, robot companies are going to do the exact same thing. This is too big of a operation, uh, especially in the long-term care arena, for them not to come up with a solution to reduce the stress or zero stress um, with, the, uh, with the tablets and capsules going through the robots.
1: Yeah, Jeff, I would have never thought of that. Uh, these pills get shaken, they get bumped, they get moved around within these systems. So that residue—that really makes sense, as you said that. And as you're talking, uh, I'm thinking—you know—who's gonna—who's gonna regulate all of this USP eight hundred stuff?
0: Well, the challenge is uh, with this one, and, uh, and this is where everybody needs to pay attention. Uh, with ha- with USP eight hundred hazardous drugs, there are going to be two state and three federal agencies will be enforcing this rule. And yes, we've heard in the past that we have the enforcers of this or that, and we may or may not have seen people. This is different. At the state level, the enforcement will come from the State Board of Pharmacy Inspectors and the State Department of Environmental Protection. Now, some state board of pharmacies are saying that they're going to delay the implementation or they're not going to adopt the rules at all. Remember, this is a federal rule that's going to be enforced and implemented. Now, we're just gonna talk about the state board. Just imagine if a pharmacy gets in trouble like the New England Compounding Center. What is the state board going to do? Right. Also, if the if the pharmacy does not implement USP 800 and there is an incident, whether it be to the patient or to the employee or both, do you think the attorneys are going to look at the state, uh, at the pharmacy as negligent for not following a federal guideline? Now we look at the state environmental protection agency, and again, each state calls it something different. These inspectors have already been trained by the EPA to ask for one thing. When they come in, where do you store your warfarin? What happens when it expires? Where do, you, where do you quarantine it? And how do you dispose of it properly? Again, numerous pharmacies have already seen these types of on-site inspections in Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, and here in my home state in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter whether the State Board of Pharmacy implements USP800 or not, the Environmental Protection Agency within your state does not follow your uh, State Board of Pharmacy regulations. Now we move to the federal level. We have the FDA, the EPA, and OSHA. And on top of that, one of my clients up in Idaho just finished an FDA, uh, no notice, on-site inspection of, non- of a non-sterile compounding pharmacy. The inspector was there for a week and a half, And they were using USP 800 regulation and the new 795 regulation. It started at the end of July and they were using the new guidelines and the inspector said, we're FDA. We can enforce what we want, when we want. So, and they did get two write-ups, one on 800 and one on 795. So it's real. And we're going to see this. And so this is very, very important for everybody to sit up, take notice. This is not like something that's make happen. It's going to happen, and it's not going to be delayed. There
1: are articles all over the place. If you go to Google and put in USP800, There's just a slew of news uh, just uh, coming back from this summer about this topic. It should be a point of concern for any independently owned community pharmacy, long-term care pharmacy that has any compounding whatsoever. So in wrapping up, Jeff, uh, what's kind of that uh, next phase or action item that you can share with our listeners? Okay, well, the biggest
0: thing is... It's a process. Um, I have started researching and writing this back in January, and I worked all the way into the end of, uh, first part of July on this. And it is not uh, the way we got this set up. And we have a program. We have a program for the retail side, and we got a, plan, a program for the, for the compounding side for non-sterile for retail. It's not complicated, and it's fairly straightforward, Um, and it starts off with an inventory. And the key item is you start early, and if you start on an easy path, uh, we, we walk you through figuring on a normal pharmacy operation with you still filling scripts. We want you to take about a month to get it done. So here we are right now, when we're recording this in the middle of August. And if you started the program here in the middle of August, you'll be done in the middle of September. If you hear this later on, figure a month. You don't want to be doing this at the end of November because then all hell is going to be breaking loose. and so you don't want to be panicked. Um, our program is, is customized. It's completed just like all our other programs are. It's a step-by-step process. Uh, to go through. Uh, and we include all the training. Uh, you have a project manager like everything else we do. It's available to assist you. If you get stuck or confused, you shoot an email over, you pick up the phone phone, and with that. And it's straightforward uh, with this. Uh, compounding is a little bit more complicated. But for the retail side setting, it's just got to think about as a process. I just, before the call started here today, I was on with uh, one of my clients down in um, Georgia as we were going through it. And they're listening to all kinds of webinars or reading kinds, of all these papers. And they were concerned about, well, I'm working about table one and how all is important about table one. And then I got table two and table three. The key item is on the retail setting. If it's a hazardous drug, it's a hazardous drug. That's why you have to treat it. Don't worry about where it's at. The tables are important for the assessment of risk. Now, we're going to follow up with this podcast in a couple of weeks with how to complete the assessment of risk. And that is the most important document that you're going to need to have in the pharmacy. And if you don't have an assessment of risk, you cannot dispense a hazardous drug, period. And that's including your birth control. But our program will cover everything. It's very simple to follow, very easy to do. You can go onto our website at www.RJHedges.com. There's webinars, there's blogs, there's uh, all the information you need. You can order it online. Uh, it's $9.99 to get the program. You fill out a simple questionnaire, and we turn them fairly quick. You get an email with the login instructions. Uh, my staff follows up with you to get, it all, uh, get you all set up and walk you through it. And then you get a binder to put all your documents in, and we walk you all the way through. Okay, then every year afterwards, there's going to be um, a renewal fee. And you might think, well, why would you need a renewal fee? Uh We we released this um, on the 15th of March. We've already done two uh, two updates because we have EPA making updates. We have uh, things that are being redetermined or uh, reanalyzed and updates coming up from all over the place. So... um, things are happening and it's not going to be set in stone. And we also have a NIOSH list being issued out in December. Uh, so all kinds of things are happening. So we will continually update train and everything from there. Jeff, I've
1: talked with you and your team so many times, so much appreciated your insights and intelligence. You're bringing a lot of, um, piece back to the practice of pharmacy. Every facility is unique. Every uh, pharmacy has um, different operational nuances that they need to understand how this all interconnects. Listeners, go to rjhedges.com for more information. There's a tab there about learning more about USP 800. Jeff, thanks for coming back. We've missed you and we're looking forward to the next episode. Definitely. I look forward to talking to everybody soon. Thank you. For all of Jeff and team's podcast, you can go to pharmacycomplianceguide.com. Once again, that's pharmacycomplianceguide.com. And as always, thank you for listening to the pharmacy podcast. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Pharmacy Compliance Guide, sponsored by RJ Hedges and Associates. Be sure to search the entire library of podcasts, helping you stay informed on the latest pharmacy compliancy issues by visiting PharmacyComplianceGuide.com.